Welcome to the Lost and Lifting Talk podcast. The show is created to help you find your confidence by breaking down the complicated science of training and nutrition and turning it into simple, but more importantly, practical solutions that you can implement right away to start creating real results inside your body composition. We don't stop there either. We dive into the mental aspect of fitness to not only build a better body, but a better life all around. Podcasts were the medium where I learned and grew as an individual more than any other place in my life. The goal of this podcast is to give that back to you to start building the exact body and life that you know you're capable of. So without further ado, let's jump into the episode. If you're a longtime listener of the podcast, you know that I'm a part of a mentorship with a group of five other guys where we meet up every 90 days and we set 90-day outcomes for ourselves. So we set one for our body, we set one for our being, which is our mindset, our mental health, we set one for our balance, which is our relationships, and then we set one for our businesses as well. And over the last 90 days, I'll be 100% transparent with you guys here, I did not do a very good job at my body goals. I started to put it off to the side a little bit. I wasn't as focused on my fitness or my nutrition, not saying I threw it away altogether. I was still training. I was still being mindful with my nutrition, but I didn't really have it dialed in all that much. I was just being very flexible. I was working out roughly around three times per week, maybe, maybe four times per week when I had time. But I just made the excuse of one, Lost and Lifting has been getting very busy. I haven't had a whole lot of time in the day that comes with a lot more stress. It comes with a lot more responsibility. It just comes with a lot less freedom in terms of my days to get to the gym. And number two, we moved, right? So I'm no longer living up in Idaho next to Fit Factory, the gym that I owned. I live down in Southern Utah now. And so I used to work out of the gym the majority of the time in the office. And that's where I would go to um, do all my work. So the gym was just right there. So I really didn't have an excuse to not train at that time. And now where I work from home in my office, um, the gym's like 10 minutes away that I work out at here down in Southern Utah. And so there's a lot more resistance for me to get to the gym, right? So um, all in all, I failed on my body goals. I didn't take them very seriously and I didn't really make any progress. And so for this go round, for this 90 day outcomes that we just set, we just got back from Seattle a couple weeks ago, a couple of mine were, well, the main one in terms of body that I want to talk about was conditioning. Because when we all went out to Seattle, we all went out and met with Cody McBroom, who we, who is the person that we all work with. He's the guy that set this whole thing up for us. We got there and we work out with him at his headquarters of Taylor Coaching Method. And he put us through a workout that was absolutely humiliating for me. He had us do um, our body weight on the trap bar deadlift for as many reps as possible in one minute, and then he had us do push-ups as many reps as possible in three minutes, and then he had us do pull-ups, which were as many reps as possible within five minutes, if I can remember right. And I have never felt so trashed in my entire life. I didn't quite realize how bad my conditioning was. After I did that AMRAP on the trap bar deadlift for a minute straight, I was absolutely wrecked. And that's a definitely, it's a hard thing to do. I think I got just shy of 60. I think I got like 58 or 59 reps with 180 pounds in one minute on the trap bar deadlift, which I was pretty happy with. But afterwards, I was so wrecked and so 
nauseous and just had a stomach ache, had a throbbing headache that I couldn't even really stand up. I almost tried to quit and not even do the pull-ups or the push-ups, but I know if I would have done that, that the other guys would have gave me too hard of a time. So I still followed through and I did all of it, but I really wanted to quit after I got done with that just because my chest hurt, my head hurt, I was foggy, just from going all out for one minute, which all I'm getting at is that my conditioning is in a terrible place. I'm not conditioned whatsoever. And I have never really trained for conditioning since back in the day in sports back in high school, which was 10 years ago at this point. And since then, I've just put most of my emphasis on strength training, on getting stronger, on building my body composition. And you can do that without putting a big emphasis on conditioning, right? Because it comes down to adaptations in terms of uh, muscle. It comes down to just controlling your body fat levels, all things that you can kind of get around conditioning and not put a bunch of emphasis there. And so as we were all sitting down in the in the meeting room where we all sit and we go through our 90-day outcomes together to get accountability, to get guidance, um, to get people to push us a little bit harder, I set up there for my body. I said I wanted to build muscle, go to the gym four days per week, and track my macros at maintenance throughout this whole time period. Because I know that I haven't been on point with my training and nutrition the last three months, four months or so to where I've really had it dialed in. So I know if I do dial it in, then I can create some recomp, meaning I'm going to be able to lose a little bit of body fat while building some muscle to kill two birds with one stone essentially. And so that's what I set up there for my goal. And that is the goal. But, um, Cody looked at me and this was after we finished with our, um, the workout that we did the day before. This is on the, the third day, the third and final day when we're setting these outcomes. And he just looked at me and said, dude, you've got to throw conditioning up there because of how out of shape I was before. And I was super resistant towards it because it's not something that I gravitate towards or is something that I'm super comfortable with or even enjoy to do all that much really. And so we ended up coming to the conclusion that I had to add one mile run every single week as well as 100 calories on the assault bike every single week. So essentially just two conditioning days every single week paired with the four training sessions as well as tracking calories at maintenance to force a bit of a recomp. So essentially I'm recomping as well as getting better at conditioning. And since I've started over the last two weeks, I've ran the mile twice in week one. I got nine minutes and 30 seconds, which was absolutely terrible. I haven't ran a mile since um, I was in high school way back in the day, I don't think. And I used to run it in like a seven minute mile. If you guys watch my stories, you, you saw me on after that, basically dying. And then this week I ran the second mile today and I got it down to an eight minute and 30 seconds. And it actually wasn't nearly as hard. And what was cool about it was like the adrenaline rush or conditioning high or runner's high or whatever you want to call it afterwards. And when you're lifting and you get a pump, it's awesome. You feel good. You feel full. You feel, you you get a little bit of that high, that lifter's high, right? But the runner's high is so much different. It leads into the rest of my day for some reason. Like when I go out and I run and I do something that I know that I don't want to do, it leaves me feeling so much more accomplished than just going to the gym and lifting or anything like that. Something that I'm very comfortable with. It's already a habit. That's just something that I do in my day to day. Right. But when I stimulate myself and challenge myself to do things that I resist in terms of the running or going, getting on an assault bike and bring hundred calories as fast as possible. Those are the things that are bringing me more fulfillment and making me more excited about life because it's more about growing again. It's more about starting and not being good and having to get better at it. I'm already good at lifting. I'm already, I already know what I'm doing. I already, I already am comfortable with that, right? But I'm not comfortable with the conditioning. And so having to do that is challenging me again and re-stimulating 
motivation to, to want to get better at it, which has been something that's super fun. And so, um, I don't really have like a, a lesson from this story except for push yourself. What are the things that you are resisting most now that you know will be bring you more fulfillment if you do them? What are those short-term sacrifices that you can start making in your life that are going to lead to more long-term fulfillment or just help you get more excited again? Because life can get stagnant. You can get into the day-to-day with your job, with, with what you have to do, with your responsibilities, with the way that you're working out. If it's stagnant, I would highly recommend just trying something new or challenging yourself in a different way that, that you're not comfortable with. Because that might just be the thing that you need, the light that you need to get you excited again and get you growing and get you fulfilled. And I know that's what it's done for me. So I just challenge you, if you're in that situation, if you're feeling drained, if there's something that you're not very good at that you've ignored for a long time and you're just stuck in your ways, what's that one thing that you could start doing now that would challenge you, that you resist, that you know if you do it and put in that short-term sacrifice for it is going to lead to more long-term rewards and towards of your mood and towards of your excitement and towards of just your overall fulfillment in life. So something for you guys to think about. Today, we're going to hop into a Q&A episode. I've got three questions here that we're really going to deep dive into. If you have questions that you would like to bring onto the podcast, as always, down below, there is a link that says lostandlifting.com backslash podcast, where you can go. If you click on that link, it'll pull up a form for you where you can leave your questions that you have for the podcast. You'll hit submit. That'll shoot right to my inbox. I'll get it. I'll be able to go through those questions. I'll bring them onto the show and answer them in depth for you so that you can get the help that you need. So please take advantage of that as well as link down below is the macro starter kit, which is my free guide that will help you set up um, your caloric intake for where your body composition is at at the moment. It'll show you how to set up your maintenance level of calories. It will show you how to start tracking. It will show you how to put your calories into a deficit. If you have a goal of fat loss, it will break down how to set up your carbs and fats. If you want to get a little bit more advanced in terms of your tracking, it will give you a bunch of high protein, lower calorie food options. Um, They're the same types of recipes that our family uses in our house on a daily basis, just to make sure that we're keeping calories within check while still hitting protein goals, just to help simplify things for you and make it a million times easier. So go ahead, take advantage of those two links down below if you would like to. And without further ado, let's hop into the questions. Question number one, if you could only perform five lifts for the rest of your life, what would they be? And I like this question because it actually allows me to give a little bit of education in the answer that'll help you guys with your programming. So when it comes to a program, there are basically five main movement patterns that I like to make sure are included in a program to just ensure that we're hitting basically every movement or every muscle group in the body. Number one would be some form of a press. Number two would be some form of a row. Number three would be some form of a squat. Number four would be some form of a hip hinge. And number five would be some form of a single leg squat. And so when it comes to picking five movements, I would just make sure that I'm picking a movement inside of each one of those movement patterns to make sure that I'm creating and developing a well-rounded body composition, right? Without any big muscle imbalances to where I'm creating a big upper body with no lower body or a big lower body with no upper body or a big chest with no back and vice versa. So that is where I would start. In terms of the actual exercises that I would select, when it comes to the press, I would probably select um, an incline dumbbell press just because that incline 
position is going to get a good amount of chest, but it's also going to get a good amount of your shoulders as well. So you're kind of killing two birds with one stone there. Even a flat bench press is still going to get some shoulder, but that incline is just going to be more evenly distributed between the two. As far as the row, I would probably select a dumbbell seal row. That's where you sit on an elevated bench, pronated, so your body, your stomach and your chest and your face are facing the bench, and then you pull with dumbbells up so you have that chest-supported nature of it there. Again, I can just get a really good contraction with that row, and it's honestly my favorite row variation to do. And you can mess with the angle of your grip, so you can go more neutral grip, which is going to help you be able to pull that elbow down towards your hip a little bit more, which is going to allow you to engage more of the lat. Or you can pull with the elbow a little bit wider, which is going to allow you to hit a little bit more of your upper back as well. So there's a little bit of versatility there. That's why I would choose that. Um, number three for the squat, I would most likely just choose a standard barbell squat or potentially, actually, no, I'm not going to say the standard barbell squat. I'm going to say the safety bar heel elevated squat, just because that's going to really put a big emphasis on the quads. And again, whenever you elevate your heels, it's going to allow you to be able to drive your knees forward more while keeping more of an upright torso, which is going to help you be able to keep more of that tension on the quads. And then when it comes to the hip hinge version, what I choose there is probably just a standard barbell RDL, which is just a Romanian deadlift. That's going to target the glutes really well. That's going to target a little bit of the lower back. That's going to target the hamstrings. And then for the single leg squat, what I would choose would be the Bulgarian split squat. And again, I really like the Bulgarian split squat because it can be alternated around a little bit as well, right? So when you get into that split squat stance with your single leg, if you, as you come down and descend into the movement, if you keep your torso more upright to the ground without as much of a hinge at your hips, that's going to create a lot more tension on your quads. But if you bend more at your torso, so as you sit down into that single leg squat, you kind of hinge into it with your um, upper body being able to come closer to the ground with your chest lower to the ground, that's actually going to put a bigger emphasis or stretch on your glute, which is going to emphasize more of the posterior. So there's a little bit of, um, there's just a dynamic piece to that to where you can adjust the movement depending on how you perform it to target different areas of the body. So I really like that question. Again, when it comes to creating a program, those are the big five lifts. You want to make sure that you have a press. You want to make sure that you have a, a row, some sort of a pull. You want to make sure that you have a squat. You want to make sure that you have a hip hinge. And you want to make sure that you have a single leg squat in there. And then from there, you can obviously add isolation work. So like bicep curls, tricep extensions, leg extensions, leg curls, crunches. All that kind of stuff can be incorporated afterwards. But the five main movement patterns are are those. And that's what you should be basing the majority of your training around to create first and foremost, just more efficiency in your training, right? I always like to train a lot more of those compound type movements from those five lifts, just because you're going to get more bang for your buck from each of those lifts. If I'm doing a press, well, that's going to allow me to hit my chest. It's going to allow me to hit my shoulders. And that's going to allow me to hit my triceps all in that one movement, opposed to if I'm just doing a cable fly, that's only hitting my chest and not involving much shoulder and not involving much tricep. There's actually a, absolutely a time and a place to add a cable fly if we want to put more of just an emphasis on the chest and that's what our main goal is of growing we absolutely want to include that 
But um, to build a, a well-rounded overall body composition and maximize our time in the gym, just spending more time on those big five compound movements for the majority of your lifts and then sprinkling, sprinkling in the isolation type stuff at the end is just going to help you, one, spend, be more efficient in the gym, and two, just be able to hit more muscle groups. You're going to be able to burn more calories um, and just more so just be able to get better results from your training in the long run. All right, let's move on to the second question, which is how many weeks should I be doing the same workout program before switching exercises? This is another really good question. I'll break this down for you how I like to create my programs for one-to-one clients that I work with. So what we do is essentially set up a 12-week training block. And in this block, we're going to focus on keeping the main compound movement of each day, which again is going to be some form of a squat, some form of a row, some form of a press some form of a hip hinge or maybe even some form of a single leg squat that first exercise of each day um, inside of the program is essentially going to stay the same for anywhere from an 8 to 12 week period so that we can just focus on progressively overloading that exercise for a good amount of time because we know at the end of the day when it comes down to our training we need to be progressing in terms of the amount of reps that we're doing in terms of the amount of weight that we're using even the amount of sets that you're performing or even just a combination of all three of those things or even before we talk about rep sets or weight just getting better at your form over time and getting more efficient with the movement. All of those are forms of progressive overload. And so that first exercise of the day, we're going to set up to get better at over a long period of time because that's going to ensure that our training is progressing, which that's going to also ensure that our body is progressing on the back end of that. And that's what we're ultimately aiming for, right? So that main compound movement of every day will keep very similar for roughly an eight to 12 week period. But then what we have to understand too is that if you just do the same thing day in and day out for 12 weeks, you're most likely gonna end up getting a little bit bored, right? You can't just go and continuously do the same thing over and over. I know for myself, I end up getting bored and it ends up getting just stagnant and I'm not motivated to train anymore. I feel a little bit burnt out and it just starts to get more monotonous. And so what I like to do here is change out all of the accessory and all of the isolation movements every four weeks. And so essentially you'll follow a training block for a four week period with the same exercises in it. And that's where we're aiming to progress our training over time in terms of reps, sets, weight, our form, anything like that, just to continue progressing. And then in the next four week block, after the first four week block, yes, that big compound of each day, that main exercise of the day, that will most likely stay the same unless you're having a hard time continuing to progress it. Um, then we'll change it in that next block. But if you're still progressing it and there's still room there to keep progressing, we will just continue on with that same movement. But all of the accessory and isolation work that comes after that big movement, that's going to change on a four-week period just to give you some variety to keep you mentally more in it, right? And so the answer here would be how I like to do this is the big compound movement, that's going to stay the same over eight to 12 weeks or for as long as you can progress it without getting too sick of it or too bored of it or just getting too monotonous. And then every four weeks, then you can go in and change out the all of the accessories and isolations. Let's say you're running an upper body day and that first exercise of the day is a bench press and then the next exercise is a dumbbell row. Well, in week one, maybe, or in block one for the first four weeks, that bench press went great. You feel like you can still progress it in week or in block two, weeks five through eight. We'll keep that bench press in place, but the dumbbell row that you were doing, maybe we'll switch that to a, a plate loaded row 
instead to where you're on a machine progressing a plate loaded row. It's still that same movement pattern, but we're just switching up the variation of the exercise just to give you something that's a little bit different. And then maybe you had um, push downs. Maybe you had cable push downs for your triceps and cable curls for your biceps. Well, that's great. We kept that the same through weeks one through four, but in weeks five through eight, which is block two, that's where maybe we'll look at doing a dumbbell hammer curl and a dumbbell skull crusher instead of the cable. Again, we're going to be working those same mo- that same muscle group, but we're just switching the variation of the exercise to give you a little bit of that variation, which is just going to keep you a little bit more stimulated to keep you a little bit more engaged with some something changing over time. And so I would like to keep the big compounds this consistent for anywhere from eight to 12 weeks. Everything that comes after that, I would look to switch out every four weeks or so. Again, you don't necessarily want to switch out the movement patterns, but you can just switch up the variation of that movement pattern that you're doing to keep yourself engaged. All right. And the last question that we're going to hop into today is I've heard you talk about the four phases of fat loss. How would I start with the primer phase? So that's a really good question. When it comes to the four phases of fat loss, what I generally am referring to there is just how to set up a fat loss phase to not only create the result that you want, but be able to sustain that result for long term, right? Where so many people go wrong here is when they think fat loss, they just think of eating low calorie, suffering, losing as much weight as possible, but then not having a real plan to come out of the deficit to be able to sustain that result. And when you do that and you don't have a plan to sustain that result long term, you usually end up falling back into old habits because you think that you have to stay in the deficit forever to sustain fat loss. But that's not the reality of the situation. To create fat loss, we have to go lower calorie in a deficit. But to sustain fat loss over time, we want to bring calories back up to a maintenance level to get ourselves eating more food, to take care of our hunger levels, um, to get some of our energy back, just to take away that stress of all of the restriction in the diet. And what's important there is to make sure that after the diet is over to increase calories, go through a reverse diet back to your baseline, your maintenance level to sustain that long term. And if you don't, that usually ends up leading to a yo-yo effect, right? Of where you eat low calorie for so long that finally you get sick of it and you end up just reverting back to old habits, eating whatever you want, putting a bunch of weight back on because you didn't give time just to get back to the maintenance level and phase out the deficit to not only create the result, but sustain the result. So when it comes to the four different phases of fat loss, all that I'm referring to is Phase one is a primer phase. It's basically just establishing maintenance, building up your habits, building up your adherence to tracking and getting your point, just getting yourself to a point where you're very consistent. And then from there, as you earn the right to diet, now we go into the deficit phase. This is where you create fat loss. This is going to be anywhere from 12 weeks all the way up to 36 weeks for some people, depending on the individual and how much weight they have to lose. And then phase three would be the reverse phase. This is where you slowly start to increase calories back up to get you back to your maintenance level, which is where you're at in the primer phase, phase one. And then through phase three, as you do that, then you get to phase four, and that's the sustained phase where you just look to sustain the result that you created over the long term. And so phase one, what you're referring to is how do I start with the primer phase, which is phase one, This is just where you're eating at a baseline level of calories. That's your maintenance level of calories, basically. So all that you're going to want to do is basically take your body weight and times it by anywhere from 14 to 16, really. If you are not very active, you don't work out a whole lot, uh, maybe three times per week and you have a desk job, I'd multiply your body weight by around like 14. If you're moderately active, you work out 
to three, four times per week, then I would take your body weight in times by 15. If you work out five to six times per week, you work a job to where you're on your feet a decent amount, then I would take your body weight in times it by 16. And what this is going to do is just give you a baseline number of where your maintenance level is roughly going to be in calories. And then this is where you would start tracking at that level of calories for anywhere from a two to four week period, just to first build up your adherence to tracking, get comfortable with tracking. Um, and second, you want to be taking daily weigh-ins to extract weekly averages from those daily weigh-ins to see how your weight fluctuates at that um, number of calories. If your weight stays relatively the same, meaning it fluctuates within a pound or so, but roughly it's in around the same average throughout that time, that means you found your maintenance level. And if you built up your adherence, you're awesome. You're Now you're in a position to where you've completed phase one, and now you can go into phase two and start dropping calories to put yourself in a deficit. If you are eating at your maintenance level when you did that calculation and you slowly increase weight over two or three weeks where your weight average goes up, that means you're in a slight surplus, meaning you're just above maintenance. So now you have a good understanding of where maintenance probably is. Awesome. Now you can drop down to that deficit from there and start to go after that goal. If over that time period during the... Um, the primer phase, if you are losing a little bit of weight throughout that period, well, now you have a good understanding that, okay, that was that, that was actually had me in a slight deficit, so I was right below my maintenance level, so it gives you just a better understanding of where that baseline is. Again, you can drop calories and start to move into more of a, an aggressive state of a deficit if you want to. So that's really all that the deficit or the primer phase is. It's just building up your adherence first and foremost to tracking, getting an understanding of where your metabolism is at so that you have a good understanding of where to drop calories to start creating the progress that you want to. So it really just comes down to setting up that um, that calculation for where you're at to find that maintenance level and then tracking, building up the data. And then from there, you have a good baseline. Now you know roughly where you need to get back to after the deficit period is over to be able to sustain your results long-term. And one thing that you have to remember too though is as you go through the deficit and you lose weight over a decent amount of time is that the metabolism is going to slowly adapt and slow down. So you're going to be burning fewer and few, fewer calories. Part of this is just because as you are in a deficit, um, your metabolism, metabolism downregulates, your neat downregulates, so you're not moving as much, you don't blink as much, you're not walking around as much, you don't stand up as much, you just burn overall less calories. But plus, you're going to weigh a little bit less, which is going to require a little bit less of an energy expenditure just from that front as well. So um, as you diet down, and after you lose 10, 15, 20, 25, 30, even more pounds than that, if, if you have that much more to lose, you have to remember that your metabolism and your maintenance, your metabolism first is going to be downregulated a little bit. So you do have to go through that reverse process in phase three to get back to where you were before. But also your maintenance might not just be as high as it was beforehand in that primer phase because you physically weigh less, which means your body's going to require less energy to survive basically. So you, your maintenance might be a little bit lower than it was in the primer when you come back to it at phase four. Everybody's a little bit different. Some people will go through the reverse diet and as you add calories back in, you'll be able to push them high because you have a very um, adaptive metabolism. Other people after going through the diet won't be able to push calories quite back to where their maintenance was before just because they're, they physically weigh less. Their body doesn't require as many calories to burn. Some people will be able to push calories all the way back to where they were um, in phase one, in phase four when they get back to that that 
um, maintenance level of calories again. Everybody's a little bit different, so I can't give you an exact answer. I've worked with people in all scenarios and really just comes down to your genetics. It comes down to um, your personal metabolism and just how adaptive that it is over time, depending on the current situation that you're in. So um, to keep it really brief and really simple though, simply just take that calculation between 14 to 16, depending on your activity level, times it by your body weight, start tracking at that point for one, two, three, even up to four weeks. See how your body responds through your daily weigh-ins when you extract the weekly averages from that. That'll give you a good understanding of if you're in a deficit, if you're at maintenance, if you're in a surplus. From there, it'll give you a good gauge in what you need to do moving forward to get yourself into a deficit for phase two, which is the deficit phase. And then from there, it just gives you that baseline to understand where you're trying to roughly get back to afterwards to sustain the result that you created in that deficit phase. So hopefully that answers your question. If you guys have any more questions off of the answers that I gave for today's Q&A, like I mentioned before, there's always the link down below that you can go to and ask whatever questions that you have. And I'll bring those onto the show and answer them on Thursday's Q&A. So If you found value in this episode, I'd be super appreciative if you would take a screenshot, put it on your IG story, and tag me in it so that I can reshare it and send you a message for personally thanking you for doing so. So like I've said, I really do appreciate you guys. Have an amazing day, and I'll talk with you soon. 